0: Let me also invite you to download our app right now at KBLA 1580. Download the app and take us to anywhere in the world and listen to us in real time. Wherever you are on the globe, if you have the app downloaded on your phone, you can listen to us in real time. Um, should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of our program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify. So many places to get the uh, podcast of this program and listen at your leisure. Should you miss us any day in real time, but I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. Typically, typically you can watch the live stream of this program by tapping the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. Not today, not this week in fact. Uh we've got some technical issues uh this week so uh, that's not happening this week. Uh but uh typically most days you can watch the live stream of this program. We apologize for those to those of you who watch this typically on the live stream. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at the real Tavis Smiley, and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour. Friday was the second anniversary, as you know, of the January 6, 2021 insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Two years later, we have more intelligence, thanks to the work of the January 6th Select Committee. But some questions remain, and others have not been fully answered, including what the intelligence community actually knew about the plans of the insurrectionists before the attack. Why was the request for the National Guard continually denied and delayed? And why was the nation's capital so vulnerable in the first place? The person forced to take the fall and resign was the chief of police for the U.S. Capitol Police, Stephen A. Sund, and Chief Sund joins us today in our two. In our third hour, you met the fate of your father.
1: and your little fountain pen. But who would have known that you would be the new Saint Joan, burning at the stake while someone in an office says, wow, this would make a great
0: movie award-winning actor, playwright, director, and educator Roger Guinevere Smith is returning to the stage. He will premiere his new solo performance of Otto Frank at the Public Theater's Under the Radar Festival January 12th through the 22nd, and I look forward to our conversation with this brilliant thespian, Roger Guinevere Smith, in Hour 3. But in this first hour today, let's talk politics with our regular contributor, Ruben Navarrete Jr., host of the podcast, Ruben in the Center. He is the most widely read Latino columnist, as you know, in the nation, syndicated by the Washington Post Writers Group, both Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden rankled Reuben last week. McCarthy and Biden got under his skin last week, hence Reuben in the center. Get it? In one piece, he called McCarthy uninspiring and untrustworthy. In yet another column, he called Joe Biden a complete liar on immigration. That indictment is beyond incriminating Reuben to call the president a liar. How are you today, my friend? Very good, sir. Great to be back with you always, my friend. Uh, yeah, a politician is lying to us. Yeah, alert the media. <laughs> uh, that, but that is, a, but that, that is a bold and brazen indictment, though, to just flat out write a piece syndicated across the country with a headline calling Joe Biden a liar. It reminded me when I first saw it, the headline of the uh, the congressman who stood up in the, in the well of the House during Obama's speech, you'll recall. Uh, in his first term and called the president a liar out loud in front of the whole world live on international television. Um, so when I when I see that word liar applied to the president, not to suggest that it is not possible and that doesn't happen routinely, but it always jumps, it jumps out at you when you call the president a liar.
1: Except during those uh, four years of the Donald Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. When I wrote that, that Donald Trump lied about so much, the Washington Post used to keep a tally of his lies, as you recall, mm-hmm. right? And all I've ever wanted from the media is fair treatment so that we keep a tally of Barack Obama's lies, uh, Joe Biden's lies, any Democrat who's a president, keep a track of their lies. Uh, Lord knows uh, Bill Clinton lied a whole lot. Uh, So in this case, though, uh, what Joe Biden has done on immigration is basically try to have it both ways, try to appear compassionate when he's running for president, uh, be tough on immigration uh, in, I think, an unfair, somewhat racist manner once he's now elected president. You and I talked about this a little bit last week, but what he's done to the Haitians, to the Nicaraguans, to the Cubans, and to the Venezuelans, uh, all of whom have dark skin, uh, i not, it's not lost on me, uh, while basically welcoming in the Ukrainians, the Russians, people from Norway who have light skin, well, somebody's got to call him on that, and I did.
0: Mm-hmm. What, in fact, and we'll talk about, uh, he, of course, he went to El Paso yesterday, we'll talk about the president, his first trip to the border as president of the United right. States. We'll talk about that when we come forward in this hour. But before we get too far uh, into this conversation, what specifically did the president lie about? How, why have you applied that liar label to him? Got it, okay, so
1: um, a couple of different things, but let's just start where I, I talked about Russia and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. The president in, in saying, why are you singling out these four countries? He said it's because Haiti, uh, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba, see they're unstable. And they come from repressive regimes. Uh, and so if you have an imp- repressive regime and it's an unstable government, it's very hard to send these people back. Uh, so because of that, we really need to, to be much harder in terms of not letting them in in the first place. Well, uh, it's hard to think of a country that's more unstable than Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's harder to think of a country that's more repressive than Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president ought to just be honest about the fact that the idea of black-skinned Haitians, dark-skinned Haitians coming across the border or dark-skinned Cubans coming across the border is more frightening to people, Democrats and Republicans alike, uh, than Russians and Ukrainians. Uh, The main way in which he lied, he ran for president saying, if you vote for me, I'll do away with Title 42, uh, this provision of U.S. code from a law dating back to 1944 that keeps out people to prevent the spread of, say, a pandemic. Vote for me, Latinos and other people who care about immigration reform, and I'll do away with Title 42. Joe Biden kept it for two years. He said, vote for me, and I'll do away with the Remain in Mexico policy. Uh, he did do away with the Remain in Mexico policy. A judge made him put it back, but the judge didn't make him extend it, as he did, to include the Haitians. So the Haitians got sent back not to Haiti, but to Mexico, right? Uh, and then lastly, uh, the president, president Biden uh, said, hey, I'm not going to build a single more inch of border wall. If you elect me, you know, I'm doing away with the border wall. And now the, the Biden administration is actually fixing and mending the border wall. Uh, Joe Biden is a complete liar and phony on immigration. He wants to have it both ways. He's never cared about immigration to begin with. Even when he was in the Senate, he voted for the Secure Fence Act in 2005. I've always known who this guy was. I wrote about it a month after. I just found a column I wrote a month after he was elected, a month before he was inaugurated, where I basically said that everything that transpired you know, will transpire. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty clear that Joe that, that uh, let's just say that uh, that immigrants are not uh, Biden's favorite people, and and sometimes Latinos are not his favorite people.
0: Mm, I, I asked for one lie, he gave me three. So we and we're just getting started. Yeah, we're right. Not, we're not even fifteen minutes in, <laughs> into this conversation yet. So we will see how many more lies uh, Ruben can stack on top of the three he's already laid out that the president uh, right. uh, has uh, uh, has. Uh, uh, spoke into existence. Um, Let me just say this, though, and and Ruben sort of uh, tiptoed around this. Let me be more exact about it before we uh, move forward in this conversation. Um, So Title 42 that Ruben referenced a moment ago, which has been hotly debated, uh, even at the Supreme Court level, has largely applied here to four. Here to four, it's largely applied to migrants from Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, and Venezuela. Now, you heard Ruben's point a moment ago, which I completely concur with, uh, there's something that's wrong with an immigration policy that only seems to impact people of color. So these are the countries, once again, that Title 42 here to four has applied to Mexicans, Guatemalans, El Salvadorians, Hondurans and Venezuelans. What we've been said, which is critical for us to unpack, which we will in a moment, is that the president has, um, in this recent announcement last week, uh, expanded, expanded this program, this policy to include Haitians. Nicaraguans, and Cubans. So it ain't getting better, it's getting worse. He's expanding this program, and the countries on the list that have been added happen to be countries from which there are more people of color trying to come to these United States. I think you get the picture. I just wanted to illustrate that and point that out, how this uh, policy uh, last week got so controversial because he expanded it to include, again, Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Cubans. Just getting started with Ruben Navarrete. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Conversations that matter. Matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. You are listening to Tavis Smiley and Ruben Navarrete Jr., our regular contributor, uh, host of the podcast, Ruben in the Center, and uh, syndicated columnist with the Washington Post syndicate. Talking uh, all kinds of politics in this hour. We started, though, and we'll continue now, talking about uh, the announcement last last week, that is, by President Biden, that he was going to expand Title 42, uh, which has typically, again, applied to Mexicans, Guatemalans, El Salvadorans, Hondurans, and Venezuelans. He's expanded that policy to include now Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Cubans. And as you might expect, I've got some questions, as does Ruben, about why our immigration policy always seems to be um, rather uh, uh, uniquely uh, directed toward countries uh, that are populated by people of color. Before I get to El Paso, and the president's visit to the border, uh, his first uh, as president yesterday, Ruben. Your thoughts on on that particular issue? What do you make of the fact that, again, it's not just that the president has upheld as a policy to this point, Title 42, but that he expanded it to include Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Cubans?
1: Yeah, I'll also be clear. I've heard that Alejandro Mayorkas, who's the Homeland Security Secretary, has been trying to put some lawyers spin on this and claim that they tried to end Title 42, but the courts forced them to to keep it in place uh, what he's not telling people is that they that that court forcing you to keep it in place didn't happen until after two years of you already keeping it in place voluntarily uh so if mayorkas uh and B- biden were just honest they would say you know what we became we got into power and we realized that uh, donald trump may have been crazy but he wasn't all the way crazy and it was good to have time too because we could keep out a bunch of folks yeah uh and and make our job easy and so yeah to your point I think that that it's clear that there is this double standard. It's sometimes related to race, oftentimes related to poverty. I don't see where people have said that the Haitians are any more prone to having COVID-19 than the people from Ukraine. There's no science science to this. There's no rationale for this. Mm -hmm. It's all just basically a catch-all category where when you find a group of people that are problematic like the Haitians or the Cubans, you just throw them into the Title 42 file.
0: Mm. Um, I'm not naive. I'm not naive in asking this, um, but here is where you um, where you get me to concede uh, just a bit, just a little bit. Uh, you you and I have had this debate for <laughs> 30 years of our friendship now, uh, because you you yes. te- you tend not to see uh, much difference between the Republican Party and the, Dem- right. and the Democratic Party. I disagree with you uh, on Probably. that wholeheartedly. I'm disappointed oftentimes in both parties. I think that one party takes black folk for granted. And the other party basically ignores African-Americans. So you and I disagree uh, on um, the um, uh, the blur, as it were, between both of these parties. That said, on this particular issue, I would concede to you, because whether it's a Democratic president or Republican president, not much ever seems to change on the issue of immigration. So on that issue, I will readily concede there's not much difference, really, between the two parties. And, and, and I get your argument. I get why you're so upset about it, because on this issue so far, on the issue of immigration so far, there's really not much difference between Biden and Trump. Uh, my question is, broadly speaking, and again, I'm not naive in asking it, what do you make of the fact that on this particular issue, there doesn't seem to be much difference between the two parties?
1: Yeah. Well, here's the bad news. It's not just this issue. It's also on the issue of criminal justice reform. Uh, it's also in the fact that the president of the United States is the author, the architect of a racist crime bill, uh, the 1994 crime bill that he bragged about for 20 years, calling it the Biden bill,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that have that catched different penalties for black folks using crack than white folks using cocaine, uh, that militarized many of the police departments, right? Mm-hmm. So Biden sort of redoes himself, and there's a lot of folks out there, African Americans and Latinos among them who are Democrats, and, and shame on them. They're Democrat first, Latino second or they're Democrat first and they're black second. And they lead as a Democrat, and they let him get away with the fact that now he's reformed. He's the same guy he always was. And unfortunately, he went from using black folks to scare white folks into voting for me. Now he does it with brown folks and immigrants. Hey, when white folks vote for me, it's the same guy. He's doing the same thing. Uh, it just He's graded on the curb because he's a Democrat. He gets away with murder.
0: Mm-hmm. What, 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 do you, what do you make further of the fact that on this particular issue— uh, the president really isn't being held accountable. I'm discussing this now because it matters right. to me. Right. I've discussed it with you for 30 years. This is this this conversation about immigration, nothing new for you and me, but uh, but right. I've gotten myself in trouble, as you well know. You've gotten yourself in trouble, as I well know, over the years, trying to hold um, uh, leaders in this country uh, accountable. But on this particular issue, on this issue, I think you're right, that Democrats writ large give the president a pass on this. Now, when you consider what Ruben is is teeing up here, this audience is smart. They know this well. Uh, And many of this, most of this audience, I suspect, voted for Joe Biden. Um, But we all know that were it not for black folks, specifically in South Carolina, who saved the Biden campaign, he would never have won the nomination, much less the presidency. Uh, And after South Carolina, black folk line up and we support Joe Biden over two African-Americans named Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. The president gets the nomination. The president goes on to win the election. He picks Kamala Harris, of course, as his running mate. Everybody thrilled about that. Well, not everybody, but many of us uh, were thrilled, at least by the fact he selected a black person to run with him. Fast forward to this issue on immigration and the president again, I've said it for the third or fourth time now, has expanded Title 42 to include Nicaraguans, Cubans, and Haitians. We watched the way the border patrol treated these Haitians when they were on horseback with those lassos. They tried to say they didn't beat these Haitians with the lassos. I'm not buying it based on the photos and the footage that I saw. But we all saw those horrible images. The president, president, same president then that made this speech last week, called that out. He called it despicable uh, when we saw those border agents on horses and the ways they were maltreating these Haitians. Fast forward a few months, he adds Haitians to the list of people right. who are now part of the—y'all yeah. ain't y'all ain't ready for me this morning. Y'all, y'all ain't seeing this. He adds those same <laughs> Haitians to Title 42, and ain't nobody but Ruben <laughs> in the center. This guy's in the center, and he's calling out Joe Biden. But for right. those of us who are black who voted for Joe Biden, I uh, take your point. we Democrats right. and too many black folk are letting the president get away with this one. I don't disagree with you on that point, my friend.
1: Yes, sir. That's right. Give me an amen there somewhere. I think yeah. amen. Uh, you know, you and I, you and I have both taken it on the chin. You know, somebody I hope when ultimately the book is written, people will look back and they'll say, you know what? Somebody needs to call Barack Obama, even though they, were, though they were proud of having the first black president. They need to call him on breaking his promise to better serve uh, black folks in the inner cities and young people and unemployment rates and all those things. And there needed to be one brave soul out there who did that. Oh my goodness, there was a gentleman by the name of Tavis Smiley. And guess how some black folks responded to that? They said, we don't care that Barack Obama's broken his promise to us. Now you're the new enemy. We're going to attack you. Uh, which is what Latinos do with me. Uh, Latinos for the last three or four days have been angry with me because I am telling my, my brothers and sisters in the Latino community, all 62 million, y'all are suckers. Y'all got, y'all got hoodwinked. Okay. I can't believe that you voted for this guy. I, I realize you wanted to fire Donald Trump. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. Uh, I'm, all, I'm all with you. But this idea somehow that so many Latinos are Democrat first and we give the Democratic Party a pass, uh, I basically wrote last week that now Barack, uh, that now Joe Biden is a bigger immigration restrictionist than Donald Trump because mm. he has backed everything that Trump did and he doubled down with now his own policy to keep out the Haitians and Cubans and Nicaraguans. And I challenge any Mexican, any Latino anywhere, I'll have that argument with you. If you want to somehow say, you know, you don't have to like me, but I, that don't mean I'm wrong. OK, I got I got the receipts. I know exactly what's going on. And there are too many Latinos out there who are Democrats first and blind to anything that happens uh, from a Democrat. Now, one day when they'll, they want to attack Kevin McCarthy, OK, I'm with you but they're going to call Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans racist on immigration. Mm -hmm. That's terrific. And the guy that you voted for just decided he was going to treat Haitians different than people from Ukraine. That sounds like racism to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about this and you discussed, uh, you and I have talked about this before, I think online and offline. Uh, And I don't know what this is all about. Uh, And I'm not trying to to bash my Latino brothers and sisters, but they, they don't call Joe Biden out for this, not writ large uh, and right. they, they don't call out Ron DeSantis for putting migrants on buses and shipping them to parts unknown. Yes. So if you're not gonna call out yes. the if you're not gonna call out the left or the right, who you gonna call out?
1: Yes, and this is this is the, by far the, the most sad thing I can say. There are a lot of Latinos out there, US Latinos who are born in this country who act like they were born on third base, like somehow they hit a triple. Mm-hmm. I was born on third base because I was born in a hospital in Fresno, California in nineteen sixty seven. I had nothing to do with that. I became a U.S. citizen at birth through no, no effort on my part. Mm-hmm. For me to dance around third base like I hit a triple, mm-hmm. okay, is dishonest. And many Latinos do not care about Latino immigrants coming into this country because they got theirs and they just feel like that's not my problem. Now, let me slip the, the, the script a little bit. Mm-hmm. Shame on black Americans who feel the same way about the Haitians. Mm-hmm. Shame on you. If you're a black American, I'm going to say the same thing to you I just said to my Latino brothers and sisters, which is that is your business. Mm -hmm. You need to care about those Haitians. Those people are being kept out because of their skin color. Okay, it's clear as day that's what's happening. They're they're being treated like that on horseback while we're saying to the Ukrainians, you know that Joe Biden, uh, after Russia invaded Ukraine, he said we're going to give away 100,000 visas to Ukrainians. He didn't say we're going to give 100,000 visas away to Haitians. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and black Americans say, well, that's not my problem. All I care about is Democrat, blue and red. You know, I didn't like Trump. Ruben must be with Trump. Okay, good. So you're going to be a blind Democrat. You're going to be a Democrat first and and a black person second, a black American second. Shame on you. Yeah.
0: Um, as you know, uh, many of you know, Ruben and I were on radio together many, many years ago. The first Black and Brown radio team in the country. We were both in our twenties at that time. Uh, we started really young on talk radio, and here we are all these years later, reunited on this station, KBLA Talk, fifteen eighty. He hasn't changed much. I haven't changed much in terms of uh, we, we've grown, we've matured, uh, and sometimes we're willing, you know, to uh, not not sometimes we're always and now you willing. folks know what we got. I'm sorry, great. And
1: now you folks know why we got fired. <laughs> I was going to say, and now you folks know why we got fired.
0: Yeah, that, that is why we because got fired. We've
1: been saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: we've been consistent in that regard. We got fired then, and uh, and this conversation may fire some people up. <laughs> it won't get me fired this time. It may get me in some trouble, but I ain't getting fired for this. Uh, but I am always delighted to be in Amen. conversation with Ruth, or uh, with Ruben. He is a he's a truth teller, <laughs> and sometimes these truths are hard to swallow, hard to swallow. But let me just be clear on this issue: Joe Biden is wrong. He's wrong to include these Haitians and Nicaraguans and Cubans, and somebody ought to say it. I think Ruben just did. We'll continue when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Travis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. We'll Continuing our conversation now with our regular contributor, Ruben Navarrete Jr., host of the very popular podcast, Ruben in the Center, writer with the Washington Post Syndicate, which makes him the most, I say this all the time, It's really a big deal. I mean, I say it all the time. It kind of flows off my lips with ease because he's a regular contributor. Uh, But when I say he is the most widely read Latino columnist in the nation, that's a big deal. There are a lot of writers for a lot of papers, a lot of writers who are syndicated across the country. But Ruben, as the Latino is more widely read uh, than any other latino columnist in the nation thanks to his being syndicated by the washington post writers group and that's a big deal and as his friend of 30 years i celebrate that and love reading his stuff uh even if i disagree with some of it i love reading it uh as i say all the time it challenges me to re-examine the assumptions i hold and oftentimes helps me expand my inventory of ideas but on this particular issue today the issue of immigration and Joe Biden. Uh, Ruben and I are simpatico We are in agreement on this one Joe Biden has made a huge mistake, I think By adding, in case you just tuned in We've been talking about Title 42 uh, Our policy on immigration That is heretofore largely applied To migrants from Mexico, Guatemala El Salvador, Honduras, and Venezuela Last week, uh, President Biden In the midst of all that Kevin McCarthy brouhaha Which we'll get to a little bit later, I promise We're going to talk about that before the hour's up Uh, But in the midst of the Kevin uh, McCarthy brouhaha President Biden snuck in this announcement Last week uh, that he was adding expanding the policy. The two words that Ruben keyed in and keyed in on uh, in his most recent column were expand and expedite. Those are the two words uh, that describe this new policy from the Biden administration. Expand and expedite. Those are the two words. Uh, we're expanding and we're expediting the policy vis-a-vis Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Cubans. And so we're asking that uh, that that perennial question as it were. Uh, as to why our immigration policy always seems to let some folk in and restrict other folk from coming in. Uh, and uh, that's the topic of our conversation, at least so far in this hour. Ruben um, before I moved to El Paso yesterday and Kevin McCarthy last week and and beyond um, this issue of Mexico. You raised this earlier, which I find just to be completely you know, just absurd. That if you are a, a Haitian, if you are a Nicaraguan, if you are a Cuban and you get caught trying to get in here, right. they send you not back to Haiti, Nicaragua, or Cuba, but they send you to right. Mexico. What is that all about?
1: Yes. So Donald Trump came up with an idea, and Joe Biden, again, has decided he'd like the idea. And, Joe, and Donald Trump's idea was basically, look, I don't want these people coming up on the border. I don't want them crossing into the border. It would be awesome if they just stayed in Mexico while we adjudicated their asylum claims. And we know only 25 percent of those claims are going to be successful anyway. So he cut a deal with the Mexican president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, AMLO, to basically pay Mexico to house these people. OK, so Mexico says, sure, OK, they'll take the money. They take the money and they house these people down there in, in these shantytown housing down near the border. Mm-hmm. It's terrible, the, the, the living circumstances down there. But Mexico does that. Joe Biden comes in, and says that's not a bad policy. I think I'll do that, too. Mm. And now he's basically cut a deal last week with Mexico. Where he says, okay, under this new expand and expedite, and you were right to center on those words, expand and expedite uh, policy, what we're going to do is for those four countries, we're going to let in 30,000 of them a month from each of those countries. But after that, the very next person is going to be turned away and all the other people are going to be turned away and they're going to go to Mexico because Mexico has agreed to take in another 30,000 a month and house them in Mexico. So it's, this is, this is the Trump presidency part two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden has completely photographed and, and xeroxed uh, this provision of Donald Trump's uh, immigration policy by paying Mexico to house these folks. It makes no sense that a Haitian is in Mexico. And I got to tell you one thing, Travis. I, I happen to be today in El Cajon, which is uh, about an hour south of where I live in, mm-hmm. in San Diego County. Mm-hmm. And I was here. Uh, I'm here because my wife works in, the, in this town. And I was here about a month ago, and I saw some some black folks out in front of a Home Depot uh, waiting for work. Mm. And I went up and started you know, talking to these folks, and they came back to me in French because mm-hmm. they're from Haiti. Mm-hmm. They're from Haiti. They found their way through the, the border in Tijuana, came into San Diego County, and now they're on a street corner, part of the homeless population in this town. And so that is ultimately the problem that Joe Biden's trying to fix, and he'd rather have them stay in Mexico than come here and be in San Diego County.
0: Yeah, it's hard for folk who speak Spanish to understand, understand your French. <laughs> so Exactly. yeah, Mexico exactly. is so it's, it's yeah. a mind-blowing thing. No, I, I, that part of the policy is completely absurd, or, as I like to say, stuck on stupid. I, I digress on that point. The mm-hmm. president is in Mexico City right now. We'll talk about that in a second. He left El Paso yeah. and took off to Mexico City. We'll come back to that in a few moments. Let me start, though, with El Paso. So the president makes his first visit to the border yesterday as president. The part about this story that I find fascinating is that he did not meet with any migrants. The White House spin on this, or the White House statement on this, is he didn't meet with migrants because there were none around. That's what the White House has said, <laughs> is, and and I'm I'm, not, right. I'm I'm not making this up. Read it for yourself. The White House has said this morning that it was coincidental. That's their word. It was coincidental that there were no migrants around when the president was at the border yesterday. So there are no photos. Any reporting of the president meeting with migrants? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you buy that, Ruben. But the question is, what do you make of the president's visit yesterday to El Paso?
1: My friends at El Paso would say, you want to, you know, find an immigrant, just throw a rock, you're gonna hit one in the head. <laughs> you know, El Paso has been inundated by refugees, as you know, uh, sometimes 10, you know, thousand a day coming across the border. Uh, but the, the main problem with this photo op, and it was a photo op, it's been called that by Democrats. It's not Republicans who are criticizing the president. They're going to criticize the president anyway. But a lot of Democrats have been criticizing El well, Paso Democrats, saying, you should have spent longer than a day here. This You met with the, the wrong folks. This was just a photo op. And, and basically what the president was doing is he was trying to avoid the criticism that Kamala Harris got when, you recall, in 2021, she went to visit uh, Guatemala.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: she flew over the U.S.-Mexico border, but didn't stop on the border, even though she's theoretically the borders are for this administration. And I think Joe Biden, knowing that he had to be in Mexico City today for this summit with uh, the leaders of Canada and Mexico, decided I can't have that happen. So I better make a pit stop. And he just made it worse because he was its this monumental crisis down there. He only spent a couple of hours. Nobody was happy. Uh, Greg Abbott, shame on Greg Abbott, the, the, the Texas governor who showed up at the airport in El Paso to give a list of demands and basically blames Joe Biden for creating this immigration problem as if. Texas Republicans haven't been turning a blind eye to employers and businesses hiring illegal immigrants for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So I always call BS on both parties. Both parties have screwed up this issue. They're both dishonest about it. They both point the finger at the other guy. But the whole thing in El Paso was just a debacle. It was a waste of time. It gave Greg Abbott a chance to to jump onto his own photo op. Uh, And that's unfortunately what this was about. It was about competing photo, photo ops for politicians. And nobody talking to uh, these immigrants who are living on the street in El Paso during winter yeah, uh, and, uh, and getting no help.
0: In the two minutes I have left, uh, right now at least, uh, let me ask you this question and we'll move on when we come forward to Kevin McCarthy, yeah. Donald Trump, a couple other things sure. between now and the top of the hour. Um, but let, let me ask you this. Um, to your mind, given that you have indicted uh, both parties on this issue of immigration, uh, what yes. ought to be, what is in fact, as you see it, the path forward on meaningful immigration reform in this country.
1: Yeah. So there's the big answer to that and the small answer. And the big answer starts with a a three-legged stool that says you need a guest worker program, uh, for these jobs that Americans are not going to do, especially now Americans, you know, they, they resign from their jobs. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to work anymore, apparently. Uh, and also, uh, Something to legalize those folks who've been in the country, but not all of them—only those who've been here for a long time—and mm-hmm. and underground undergo background checks. And lastly, better border security. Mm-hmm. So that's the big issue. But in the short term, you got to get immigration judges down there. You got to get uh, immigration lawyers down to the border, adjudicate some of these cases. And in one out of four cases, they get to stay. And three out of four cases, they got to go home. All I want is for them, to, these folks, to have a hearing. And Joe Biden has denied them even a hearing.
0: Mm-hmm. We Ruben um and his views on immigration and on the path forward. When we come forward, we'll get his take on uh, the Kevin McCarthy brouhaha. He is now the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Uh, it took a few votes to get there, as you well know. Comedians have had a field day, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have a field day, I suspect, for, for days to come about how this actually happened. I'm not even sure it's worth being Speaker uh, at this point, given all he had to go through, whether he'll be effective or whether or not he will, in fact, be the shortest-lived Speaker ever. Uh, in the history of this republic. We'll get Ruben's take on that. Uh, we also know this morning that uh, the Georgia grand jury investigating Donald Trump uh, and 2020 election uh, aftermath uh, issues has completed its work. Uh, so what happens now in uh, Fulton County? Uh, more issues to discuss with Ruben Navarrete Jr. when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Interrogating your assumptions and expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580 80. It was quite the week for Kevin McCarthy of California. I said uh, many, many weeks ago that um, history uh, might be made if uh, Kevin McCarthy could pull off the speakership. Uh, first time in history that the gavel has transferred from one Californian as Speaker of the House to another Californian, both Pelosi. And Kevin McCarthy, as you both know, as you all know, rather, both hail from the state of California. Uh, so Pelosi uh, uh, steps down uh, and Kevin McCarthy now has the gavel. Don't need to color this question much at all. Ruben, what do you make of the drama that we all watched in real time uh, before Kevin McCarthy finally was wow. able to, uh, to hoist the gavel uh, in the House of Representatives?
1: Yeah, I'm in agreement with a lot of the guests you had last week where you talked about this stuff. You guys were laughing about it. I was laughing about it. I was like a pig in the mud. I just, I just couldn't get enough of it. Uh, I was eating popcorn because I like to see blue on blue violence and red on red violence. Uh, I, I don't want people just to shut up and fall in line, right? right. When Nancy Pelosi was uh, about to ascend to Speaker, 16 Democrats wrote a letter saying that they didn't want her to be Speaker. House Democrats, because they said, hey, you know, she's too old. She doesn't represent change. We ran on change, etc." When AOC and the squad, as you recall, this is a group of women of color,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when they uh, challenged Nancy Pelosi and she responded in a very condescending way, you know, holding up a glass of water, saying this glass of water could get elected in some of their districts with mm-hmm. a D next to their name, right? Well, OK. And, and so I'm OK with that blue on blue violence, red on red violence. I learned a lot last week, and I think we all did, about how frayed the Republican Party is. Uh, when Donald Trump told everybody to fall in line behind Kevin McCarthy and then Lou Dobbs attacked Donald Trump, I was just like, I was loving it, right? Mm-hmm. I was just, this is great. And I think what we learned, we learned three things, Tavis, last week. One is that uh, Kevin McCarthy is not the boss of Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and these other people. Right. Uh, I get that, that when you get to the House of Representatives, theoretically, Nancy Pelosi is your boss or Kevin McCarthy is your boss. That doesn't work that way. Your boss, are you only answer to the district and to the voters in your district. And that's the way it was supposed to work. You know, Gates, if he wants to be a, a complete jerk and, and hold out his vote, that's his prerogative. If his voters have a problem, they can vote him out. It's not the business of Kevin McCarthy or Fox News or Sean Hannity or anybody else. Mm-hmm. So those people, I didn't agree with, with the re- McCarthy rebellion, but I knew they had a right to do it because Kevin McCarthy is not the boss of those other folks. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, I think that uh, Kevin McCarthy got into this problem. He is two years older than me. He grew up an hour away from me. We went to high school during the same time, and rival high school is like an hour apart from each other. Mm -hmm. And I know how Kevin thinks because I'm from the San Joaquin Valley and a farm boy myself. And back there, you know, that's the kind of place where your word should be your bond and you shake hands on a deal. Kevin McCarthy is in a big hole because he has broken his promise. He has lied. He has tried to have it both ways, talk out of both sides of his mouth. You know, he's a moderate on immigration until he isn't. Uh, he's he's done all this flip-flopping, it's no wonder they don't trust him. So that's why I wrote that column saying he's unreliable and untrustworthy, and mm-hmm. that's why he was unelectable. Lastly, I think that once he won on the 15th ballot, Tavis, it was, he really redeemed himself, at least momentarily, by making a joke out of it. By going up there and saying with a smile on his face, well, that was easy, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And then turning to Hakeem Jeffries and saying, you know, to my to my colleague, uh, Stephen's colleague, Hakeem Jeff- Jeffries, I just want to point out to you that a few years ago, I won 100% support from my caucus, and everybody laughed, right, mm-hmm. uh, to tell you how precarious these things are. So I think he did well to redeem himself at the end, just momentarily there. I agree with you. It's a fractured Congress. He's in a hole of his own making, uh, and I'm just – I'm here for it. I am here for it. I am enjoying it. Give me more
0: of it. <clears> have <throat> mentioned a moment ago the lessons he learned watching this last week. When we come forward in our remaining moments with him, I want to ask him what lessons he learned about Nancy Pelosi. Let me just tee this up right quick. It seems to me mm-hmm. that when you look at all the drama that Kevin McCarthy had to endure, 15 votes to win the speakership and the fractured nature of his own party, it says something to me, whether one likes or loathes Nancy Pelosi, says something about how good she was hurting Democratic cats. I'll leave it there for the time being. Uh, Ruben's thoughts on that when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. out loud. KBLA Talk 1580. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now, It does indeed with Ruben Navarrete Jr., our regular contributor. Uh, we've been talking uh, all politics in this hour. We, we've talked about Uh, President Biden uh, and his uh, recent statements, uh, expanding Title 42, his immigration policy. uh, In case you've just tuned in, we've been talking about Kevin McCarthy and uh, the drama he went through to become speaker um, uh, last week on the 15th vote. It was fascinating. And because I'm on nine to noon Pacific time, Ruben, all this stuff was going down in the middle of the day and literally like every hour you know I'm like announcing he just lost again next hour he just lost again third hour he just lost again i mean this thing was fascinating to cover live last week while i'm trying to conduct conversations and this is going on uh in the house but it was a fascinating week one that i won't forget for for many many years to come um but he finally pulled it out again on the 15th vote and kevin mccarthy is the new speaker of the house back to that one more one one more again as we say you mentioned three things that you learned last week, and I'm wondering whether you learned anything about Nancy Pelosi. I know you're not a a, a fan, per se, of Nancy Pelosi, but it said something to me uh, last week watching this drama, Ruben, about how uh, about how deft she was at counting votes and getting legislation passed. Um, I don't know that Kevin McCarthy would ever be able to, to do what she did, but I learned something about Nancy Pelosi in retrospect, that she was awfully good at that job. Never mind what you think of her politics, she was good at hurting those Democratic cats.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, also, one of the reasons she was good at it is because people believed her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I don't necessarily have to agree with Nancy Pelosi's worldview on a number of issues, but I find it difficult to pinpoint instances where she lied, like Joe Biden did on immigration or try to have it both ways, like Kevin McCarthy did on immigration, for instance, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think what I learned last week was you can be a right-wing jerk like Donald Trump, and the base will respect you because even when you're wrong, you don't flip all over the place. Or you could be like Nancy Pelosi on the left and be a hard left, and people respect you because you're not flipping all over the place. But if you're Kevin McCarthy and you try to have it both ways, Mm -hmm. you're going to get crucified. And Mm -hmm. that is the one thing about our politics. We have a lot more respect. Are people who stand their ground and don't blow in the wind. there's another point though it's kind of like those prosecutors who have great win loss records
0: mm-hmm. because
1: they don't take the tough cases <laughs> they don't take the tough cases yeah they only take the easy ones and Nancy Pelosi, as you recall she was Speaker of the House uh, during the George W. Bush administration she got there before Barack Obama got to be president and her uh, right hand Rahm Emanuel who would then leave the house to go become uh, Barack Obama's chief of staff, while he was in the House, he did all he could to keep immigration off the docket. So Rahm Manuel kept immigration, even though the Democrats had a shot at it. They He kept it way on the back burner, and he, he kept it away from Nancy Pelosi. If Nancy Pelosi had to deal with the immigration issue, it's such a divisive issue, it would have been difficult for her to herd cats.
0: Mm.
1: So I give her an A with an asterisk next to it. Yeah, And the asterisk is she did a great job herding cats. <clears throat> And thank goodness she had Rahm Emanuel to keep her away from the really difficult cats who didn't want to be herded.
0: Speaking of Rahm Emanuel, it was that same Rahm Emanuel, I'm glad you went there, the same Rahm Emanuel who left the House as one of uh, Pelosi's lieutenants and went to, as you said, become Obama's chief of staff. As chief of staff, though, it's the same Rahm Emanuel who had decided at one point that they weren't going to get what they wanted and they weren't really winning the way he thought they were going to win on what's now known as Obamacare, and you know the story well, Rahm Emanuel and Barack Obama, his boss in the White House, were about to throw the towel in on health care. And Nancy Pelosi, right. it, this is a very, a very, the story is, you know, is is out there. Nancy Pelosi in her high heels <laughs> walked up to the White House and walked in the Oval Office mm-hmm. and gave Barack Obama and Rahm Emanuel the business and said to them, absolutely right. not. I have worked my tail off yes. to get all of these Democratic right. votes lined up, and I don't care if we don't get a single Republican vote. We're going to vote on health care, and we're going right. to pass it. There would not be Obamacare today were it not for Nancy Pelosi. Obama doesn't get the credit for that. Romney Manuel can't right. get the credit for that. Nancy Pelosi pushed right. that thing through without a single vote, but she was not prepared to give up on that. Here again, lessons learned, I think, about the—, the uh, the legacy of Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. I got Standing two mi-
1: your ground. Yeah. Stand that, your ground.
0: Stand your ground, exactly. I got two minutes left here. You mentioned Donald Trump. You mentioned prosecutors. Let me go to Atlanta right quick. We now know that the uh-huh. Georgia grand jury investigating Trump in the 2020 election aftermath has completed its work. Here's what we know. The special grand jury uh, in Georgia is not authorized to issue indictments, but the panel will issue a final report, kind of like the January 6th Select Committee, that will serve as a mechanism for the special grand jury to recommend whether Fulton County D.A. Prosecutor Fannie Willis should pursue indictments in her election in uh, interference investigation. She can then go to a regularly impaneled grand jury to seek indictments. So now uh, Merrick Garland uh, has a report that he's looking at. Fannie Willis in Georgia, as prosecutor in Fulton County, has a report. She's looking at what's your best guess uh, as to whether or not Donald Trump is going to be indicted by either.
1: I hope so. I guess I hope he gets indicted both at the state and federal level. Um, and I think I, because I just love chaos, right? I think that would be great. <laughs> that'd be great chaos. And I think, he, I think he has it coming. I think he has it coming. But uh, with regard to uh, another one, there's another investigation. You know, the special prosecutor has not come in yet sure. uh, to weigh in yet on his report. Uh, I think all eyes are on Merrick Garland, independent of what happens in Georgia. And I do hope they, prosec- they prosecute in Georgia. But independent of that, the, the big game is with Merrick Garland, he's in a real tough spot. To be able to go and bring a case against somebody who's running for president is is really tricky. But then to send a message that some people are above the law mm-hmm. uh, and that Donald Trump should get away with, with all of the that he's done is also very tricky. So I, I know one job I would not like to have this morning, uh, Mr. Smiley, and that is to be Merrick Garland and to be in that chair because mm-hmm. that's a real tough spot to be in. No,
0: I, w- I wouldn't want the job either, but I'll tell you, uh, quoting Spike <laughs> Lee, uh, do the right thing. That's my message to Merrick Garland, just, just do, do, do the, the, the right, right thing. thing. Uh, speaking of Washington uh, and Merrick Garland, in our next hour, Courage Under Fire, Under Siege, and outnumbered 58 to 1 on January the 6th. We know last Friday was the second anniversary of January 6th. The person who had to take the fall for that uh, was the chief of police uh, for the Capitol Police, uh, Stephen A. Sun. He's our guest in the next hour in just a few moments. For now, though, I thank Ruben Navarrete for coming on. we'll talk soon, my friend.
1: My brother, always great to be with you. A blessing. Thank you. Stay strong. Chief Stephen.